I'm Sean Lowe. I'm 29 years old, and I'm from Dallas, Texas. I'm living a normal nine-to-five life, and now here I am. I'm the bachelor. I mean, this is absolutely nuts. I never would have dreamed I'd be in this position right now. never felt so special, so cared for in my entire life. I just think I'm the luckiest girl in the world. I'm the luckiest guy in the world to be here right now. Sean is the perfect guy. <laughs> this is unforgettable. My fairy tale with Sean has begun. But you came here uh, to hear uh, from The Bachelor. And here's the thing I think is really... I, when you watched this particular season with Sean Lowe, there was some sort of a connection that happened that was, I think, a little bit unique from all the other uh, bachelors and bachelorettes. And I think part of that was is that we just wanted to believe in our hearts that there really were good guys uh, still left in the world. And uh, this Sean is just a remarkable, remarkable. He's he's exactly who you saw on camera. He may actually be a nicer guy in person than even on camera, if that's possible. Uh, he's the guy that I think every gal hopes she has the opportunity to date. I think he's the guy that all of us as guys go. You know what? Uh, he could be my best friend. Uh, that's the kind of guy I'd want to do life with. So do me a favor. Would you welcome to the stage, Cornerstone? Welcome, Sean Lowe. Okay, so we're all wondering how, how you, and, and I don't know if everyone knows this or not, uh, if you didn't watch the show, uh, Sean was actually on The Bachelorette first, and then he got chosen out of that to be on The Bachelor. How did you end up on The Bachelorette? So, um, I was working a normal nine-to-five job a couple years ago, selling insurance and I hated it. It was it was the worst. <laughs> Wearing my slacks and making cold calls. It's it's the family business. That's why I got into it, but I hated it. And one day after work, I was walking my dogs around the neighborhood and I had my phone with me. And the phone rings and it's a Los Angeles area code and I don't know anybody from Los Angeles, so I I pick it up and hello and it's there's a really sweet girl on the other end. She says, "Hey, my name is Carly. I'm from the Bachelorette's uh, casting department." I, I don't know anything about this. I didn't submit my name, and, and it didn't take me long to figure out that my sister was behind it. And <laughs> she says, you know, we, we all need sisters <laughs> like that, right? She says, we received your information, and we'd love to talk to you about uh, possibly being on The Bachelorette. And I told her, I said, listen, I appreciate you calling me, but there's no way I'm going to be on a cheesy reality show about love. <laughs> and she told me, she said, well, just think about it. You could have the opportunity to travel the world and, and make some great friends. And uh, I said, okay, thanks. And uh, I went back to work the next day, and, and I thought, you know, I do need a vacation. And yeah, from selling insurance. <laughs> from yeah. selling insurance. And, <laughs> and so I, I, I called Carly back later that week, and I said, all right, let's give it a shot. So I, I had to submit some more information and do a couple casting calls, but the next thing you know, I'm on the show. So you end up, you know, starting out as this guy who's just, you know, kind of in it for the fun of it. You end up, you end up in the final three, and you end up actually having some pretty serious uh, feelings 
for The Bachelorette. So yeah. talk to us about well, what, what's it like to get dumped on national TV? That's where, that's, <laughs> that's where we're headed with this. You haven't lived until you've been dumped on TV. Um, you know, like I said, going into it, I did it for a vacation, and it was a wonderful vacation. I got to travel the world, and when you're not on dates, you're basically just hanging out with a group of guys. Uh, I remember we would uh, lay by the pool and throw the football and grill steaks, and it was like, this is this is awesome. I'm, best decision I've made in a long time. And still being very cynical, saying there's no way you can develop real feelings on a TV show. But as the weeks progressed, I started to think, wow, I am developing feelings for this girl, and and we make it to the I make it to the final three and. And uh, I remember I was always very confident going into these rose ceremonies. And if you guys don't know how it works, if there's 10 guys, there's only nine roses. So one guy is not going to get a rose and he has to go home. And and I had, I had just developed this confidence that I know that it's going to work out between me and her. And I know how the rest of my life is going to go. And so going into these rose ceremonies, I was never nervous. I, I'm getting a rose, no doubt. <laughs> and... We get down to this this rose ceremony, and it's me and and another guy Jeff and and another guy Ari, and she calls Jeff's name first. And I kid you not, my thought at that moment was, "Oh man, Ari's going home," <laughs> because I knew I was getting a rose. And not only that, I'd become good friends with these guys. As weird as that sounds, and I kind of hated to see Ari go home. And, <laughs> And then, did, was he thinking the same about you? Oh, That's I'm sure what? he was. <laughs> but only one of us was right, and it was yeah. him. <laughs> and so she calls Ari's name next, and uh, you know, I, I am just, I'm completely stunned. And, and I can look back and laugh at it now, but in the moment, I, I it was first shock because yeah. I was so confident in which and then way you did the man weep thing my life was going, and <laughs> and then it slowly turned into heartbreak, yeah. and, and it was a, a pretty challenging time for me. So. You get done with that, you think, okay, that season's gone. You know, that, that, that was a good moment in my life and now on to real life. And then you get a phone call and they say, hey, would you come back and be The Bachelor? So what's it like to wrestle that decision? Yeah, about a month after being dumped, I get a phone call <laughs> and I'm, I'm back in Dallas and I'm adjusting to going back to my normal life, which I was happy with doing. And, and I get a call from one of the producers and he says, what would you think about being our next Bachelor? And I told him, I said, you know, that first go around didn't go as planned. And that was, that was pretty rough there at the end. And I, I don't know if I can go through that again. And he said, well, take some time and think about it and call me back at the end of the week. And so I called my parents. My parents are, they're always good to just speak wisdom to me. And uh, I called them thinking that they would say, you know, you gave it a run. Maybe you should bypass this one. And they both said the same thing, which really surprised me. They said, you know, we feel like God has opened this door and you owe it to yourself to walk through it. Mm. And that just resonated with me and it made a lot of sense. And so I called the producer back later that week and I said, all right, let's, let's give it another shot. Wow. Okay. So here, here is the burning question. I mean, we, this is the one that literally everybody has said, I have to ask you today. How do you remember the girl's names? (laughs) (laughs) I get this question so much. And the truth is, the first couple of weeks, there's 25 girls. There's no way I'm going to remember all those names. I mean, it's, it's difficult, and I'm bad with names in the first place. So what they do is is there's a producer that will follow me around, and she's, a, she's of course, off camera, and you can't see her, but she has an earpiece, and she can hear everything that I'm saying. And so as I'm talking to these different girls, she's taking notes. 
And if I'm speaking with Catherine, she might be saying, well, Catherine told you a story about her grandma, and this is what she said. And, <laughs> and so the next time I sit down with Catherine, she'll say, all right, we're about to go sit down with Catherine. Last week, remember, she told you about her grandma. And, <laughs> and it's really awesome. And, and I know most guys wish they could have that in everyday life. I, that, that would be the answer. That would work. So she, she helped me out tremendously. And after, after a couple weeks and, and the girls start to go home, of course, I start to get to know the girls on a, on a much deeper level and, and I learn their names. Yeah. When it was down to final two. Yeah. yeah all right. We got down to the final three. I yeah. I knew their names. Uh, is there ever a moment when, when you're, you know, going through all the process and it takes like a week to film every episode, but you, you're already like, I cannot wait for the rose ceremony. That girl's got to go. Yeah, yeah. You know, so the beginning of the season, there's there's 25 girls, and here's the way it works for the most part. They'll take usually about 12 girls, about half the girls who they think could be legitimate matches for me. Mm -hmm. Then they have 12 or 13 other girls that are just crazy and are good television. <laughs> and they're pretty easy to spot. <laughs> And so the first night, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, this girl, she, she's got to go. She didn't have a chance. But you can't cut them all on the right. first night. You got to keep a couple of the crazies. You can only cut so many. So, yeah, you got to keep some of the crazies, but it, it makes things entertaining. <laughs> okay, so I, I think that kind of leads into how how contrived is the show? I mean, how how much do they manipulate and steer the show? Yeah, this is another question I get all the time. And... It might shock you to know, this show is actually pretty darn authentic. I know a lot of reality shows are anything but real. Um, the Bachelor's pretty authentic. My, my, what I say, my feelings, uh, what you see on TV is really how I felt in that moment. And the producers never told me what to say or how to act or who to send home. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty real. And, mm. and I, I really respect the people that put the show on because they are dedicated to, um, hopefully finding a match for me now at the same time they want to make interesting tv and they throw in the crazies and all that stuff but um they do leave it to me to determine how i feel and and, hmm. and those things okay so i i just can't even imagine doing life in front of cameras do you ever forget do you ever just forget that the cameras are there and and it's just you and the person you're talking to Is that yeah happening? well it sounds crazy because any given time, there's usually three or four cameras surrounding you, and next to those cameras are sound techs, and next to those sound techs are producers. So when it looks like it's a cozy, quaint date where it's just Catherine on a and deserted I, island, yeah, yeah, Catherine and I on an island, there's really 20 people standing around us and <laughs> staring. It, yeah, um, but but the crazy thing is, after you're subjected to this for a while, you kind of you just forget about them, and and not only that, you become friends with these people that are running the cameras and the and the sound techs and so forth, and 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 there's a trust there. Like I trust they're not going to judge me when I say something absolutely ridiculous or really lovey-dovey or whatever. And um, it, and and I do. I just kind of forget about it, and I was able to be open and honest. And I think Catherine felt the same way. Hmm. So we were talking, and uh, you know, there's always somebody who kind of complains after the show's over and says, you know, they misrepresented me. They made me look worse than I really am. Yeah, I, I don't know if I buy that. So every season you hear it, and it's usually the person who says that is the person that comes off as a jerk. They say, well, I was portrayed as a jerk. That's really not me. But, you know, I, I can tell you firsthand if he's 
that guy that was a jerk on TV is, is a jerk in real life. I, it, my, my theory is, you know, they film you for countless hours, and, of course, they narrow that down to a couple hours for TV. But if you come off as a jerk, it's, it's because you're a jerk in real life. Your true self's going to be shown. And So should nope. we name some names right No, nah, we won't name any names right now. I'll leave now. some <clears throat> names out. But no, nobody wants to be a jerk. But, hey, just face facts, man. You're a jerk. Do they, do they ever... Do they ever make you keep someone because, I gotta tell you, there's a lot of times you go, how in the world does he not know and how come he's keeping her, you know? Yeah, so especially when my season was airing, we had a villain, we'll call her that, but uh, a girl that was stirring up all the controversy in the house as there is every season. And, yeah. And people would come up to me, and that's the only thing they wanted to talk about. How could you be so stupid to keep her on the show? <laughs> I don't see what she's saying to the other girls. You know, I'm oblivious to so much that's going on. I'm just Plus a, you're a guy. I'm just a stupid guy. You know, I don't. <laughs> I don't catch on as quickly as the women do. Um, so I, I don't see all the drama that's happening when I'm not around, of course. And. And the answer is no. The producers don't tell me to keep certain people. That was me making those stupid decisions and, yeah. and not seeing that she eh, she was pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, but no, the producers never tell me who to send home. Right. So you're getting down toward the end, you know, and now it looks like on TV you're having connection with more than one gal. Is Is that really happening? Is it possible to have feelings for more than one person at the same time? Yeah, it's, it's it sounds really backwards, and I think only in this crazy bachelor world is it possible. But going into the show, I said, okay, if I'm really going to get to know these girls on an intimate level, I've got to I've got to focus on them when I'm with them, and not think about the other girls. And and when they're telling me about their struggles in their life, you know, I want to be engaged. And so that's how I treated every girl, and I gave her that undivided attention. And and through that. I, I did start developing feelings for multiple people. And actually, it, to be quite honest with you, it felt wrong and it felt unnatural. And I think it is unnatural. Only in this, this backwards world is that going to happen. But, but it did happen. And uh, I did find myself developing feelings for, for multiple people. But, mm. you know, of course, I only fell in love with, with one. Yeah. Here's, here's why I think maybe that's important for us to hear. Because I guarantee you that there are people right now in a relationship that they probably know deep down in their heart this isn't a great relationship, and yet they have feelings invested. And and so sometimes I think in fear we think, well, wait a minute, this may, you know I know it's not healthy, but I love them, and so maybe I've got to stick with them because maybe I'll never feel this way about anybody else. And I, and I think. For us to realize, hey, it's possible to have feelings for more than one person. If, if you acknowledge that this isn't the right person for you in the long term, moving on to a better, healthier, more God-fearing relationship isn't mean you're going to lose the chance at a relationship on the deal. Yeah, and I think you know if you're in a dating relationship and, and that person's not treating you well, then I think you have to look at, at other options. But I think that we were created in such a way that you are capable of loving more than one person. And, and love, you can't rely on the emotion of love or the feeling mm -hmm. because sooner or later that's going to waver and you're going to have your peaks and valleys. And and that's why there is so much divorce and dysfunction mm -hmm. in families uh, in our culture today because people say, well, 
I've fallen out of love with this person. And, and so they abandon that relationship. But, you know, I, I truly believe that love is a verb. Love is an action. And I know I have to constantly work at loving Catherine every day. And she'll tell you, we have our ups and downs. And she has to work at loving you. She has to work really hard at loving me sometimes. Uh, but I know I need to be the best husband I can be. And I need to show her that I love her, uh, even in times when it feels hard to do. Um, and, and it's not always easy, but it's, it's definitely more gratifying in the long run. Yeah. Hey, you know what? I, I totally know that Catherine's actually here. Catherine, would you just stand up for a second and wave and let everyone know? So she's, there you go. And, and she was telling me in the back room how hard it is to love you. So I, yeah, I'm I bet. glad we got to that point. Uh, no, I'm teasing. They, they actually like each other still. So that's good. Uh, hey, uh, you're a guy of faith. Um, tell us about that. When when did you make a decision for Jesus Christ? How did that come about in your life? I was lucky enough to be raised by two wonderful Christian parents. And I, I invited Jesus into my heart at a very young age, at eight years old. And I knew at eight that, that I had Jesus living inside of me. But I don't think it really dawned on me. And I fully comprehended it until sixth grade. I remember it was at church mm. camp. And it just... It just sunk in like, okay, I'm supposed to live my life for Jesus. And even at at 12 years old, I knew that I viewed life differently than a lot of people, than a lot of my friends and even my friend's parents. You know, I had a certain wisdom because I saw life uh, through an eternal perspective at 12 years old that adults didn't have. And um, from that moment on, I tried to live my life differently, but of course... Um, there were also seasons of my life where I strayed and I lived selfishly and I did things that were just really to please myself and not God. And, hmm. um, you know, that always ends, <laughs> ends in a path of destruction, really. Yeah. So, it, so I, I think that's good to hear too, is to say, Hey, you know, we all have journeys and you at 12 said, Hey, God is important and that's where I'm going to go. And yet there were seasons in your life that you look back and you go, boy, I got a long way away. Yeah. You know, I was, I never stopped being a Christian, but there were times when I stopped living for Christ. And I look back at high school and I didn't always stand up for what I believed in. Sometimes like a lot of high school kids do, I, I just wanted to fit in. And that was what I was more concerned with. Or in college, I, I played football at Kansas state. And as an 18 year old going into that environment, I, you know, I, I was amongst men and these men knew that I wasn't having sex because you're a division one college football player. You should be out there having sex with as many women as you possibly can. And, and they knew I wasn't doing that. And they would say, you know, what are you doing? They call me low, low, low. What are you doing? And, and I didn't really stand up for what I believed in. I just said, well, you know, I'm kind of doing my own thing. And, and I didn't have that backbone to say, you know, I'm, I'm living for Christ and, mm. and you need to know why I'm doing this. And, and I didn't do that. And so I, I, I had these points in my walk where I was a Christian, but I wasn't necessarily living a mm. Christ-centered life. Yeah. So now you go to The Bachelor. Uh, that's fairly hostile territory for a Christian. Uh, you're, when you're on The Bachelorette, you're in the house with 20 plus guys who are all probably doing what guys are going to do, you know, on, in a moment like that. And then you become The Bachelor and now you've got 20 some women chasing after you and there's a lot of temptation in there. 
Talk to us about trying to navigate that territory as a Christ follower. Well, so let me preface by saying somewhere in my early to mid-20s, I knew I had to just rededicate my life and really evolve and mature in my own faith. And so that's exactly what I did. And and I began to understand uh, God more as I began to sink my teeth more into his word Hmm. and his love letter is what I call the Bible. So um, going into the bachelorette, I knew that I'd be on an island by myself for the most part, uh, being the only Christian. And that's, that's about right. That's what it was. And so going in, I knew, okay, I'm going to bring my Bible. I'm going to bring a devotional every morning. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to spend some time in his word. And also I'm just going to stay in constant prayer with God. You know, no matter what the circumstance is, just shoot out little prayers, you know, God help me get through this or God help me make the best decision here. And, and, and that's what I tried to do. And, and I think that helped me tremendously. And, and I never the beautiful thing about having God in your life is you never feel alone, no matter the circumstances. You know, I don't care if you're the only Christian surrounded by a hundred non-believers. You don't feel alone because you know you're in it with God. Hmm. So you were telling me you ended up as you were on the Bachelorette. You made you made a commitment that every single day you were going to go still have personal devotions while you were there, and that actually had kind of an impact on the guys around you. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, it was really cool. So. The first few weeks of the show, we stayed at this big mansion in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, and there was a patio that I would go out to every morning, no cameras or anything, and I would just read my Bible and, and read the devotional that I had with me. And and after a few days of doing that, one of the other guys that was on the show comes out and he asked me, hey, what are you reading? And so I I told him and I, and I read that day's devotional. I was reading uh, Jesus Calling, great little devotional. And I could tell it really resonated with him. Hmm. And in fact, he actually said, well, read some more. And and then he came back the next day and he wanted to hear some more. And then after several days, more and more guys started coming out. And some of these guys, I mean, forget just not being raised in church. Some of these guys had no idea what the message of, of Jesus was all about or what hmm. the gospel is. And yet they were being drawn to the word that so I was you're having reading. a Bible study on the bachelorette. I'm having a Bible study on the bachelorette. <laughs> and, and at the end, there were about 10 or 12 guys out there hmm. who all wanted to listen to it and who were all enamored. And I think that just goes to show that there's a magnetism that comes with the truth. Hmm. And I was reading them the truth and whether they knew anything about Jesus or not, they were drawn to it and they wanted to hear more. And the first guy that came out, his name was Charlie, the first guy that asked me to read him something. He ended up giving his life to Christ later on. Hmm. And then I, I ended up giving that devotional to one of the other guys that became really attached to it, too. So it was really a wonderful opportunity just to share my faith and in a, a situation that you wouldn't expect to. Wow. See, I, I just think that's so powerful that in a moment when it would have been really easy to be a secret agent Christian. You know, you could have stayed true to your Christian beliefs, but just kind of done it, you know, under the surface of it all. You chose instead to kind of put it out there where, you know, it could be noticed. And God uses that to just absolutely affect the other guys in the house. Charlie ends up becoming a Christ follower out of the deal. Man, I'm just so proud and, and so honoring that you did that, man. I think that's just so cool. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, so... Talk to me about, uh, you're, you're the bachelor. Uh, it comes to that fantasy sweet time. There's three girls left and true to bachelor form, they give you this envelope that says, Hey, 
should you choose to forego your separate rooms, tonight you can go to the fantasy suite and do that. And in that moment, uh, you were pretty out there, pretty bold to say to these gals, hey, look, I'm willing to spend an evening talking to you because the cameras won't be there. I can get to know you better. But you just need to know there won't be any fantasy to the fantasy suite. Yes, right? exactly. And, and Catherine can attest to that. There was no fantasy there. Uh. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I knew going on to The Bachelor, people had gotten a sense of who I was off of The Bachelorette. And they knew I was a Christian for the mm-hmm. most part. And and uh, I knew that there were millions of people at home who were going to judge me and judge my faith by the things that I said and the things that I did. And I just, I wanted America to know that this isn't how I live my life. I go about things a different way. And it was, yes, you're, you're absolutely correct. It was a valuable time because there is no cameras. And sometimes it's really hard to be completely vulnerable uh, when a camera's in your face. And so it's a great opportunity for the girls just to say anything that maybe they wouldn't have said with a, with a camera there. But um, it, I, I just wanted people to know, like, I'm, I'm doing things differently here. Mm-hmm. I'm not like the other bachelors that you've watched before. And, and even if there weren't cameras or millions of people watching, I would have said the same thing to the mm-hmm. girls. Like, this, I, I'm living my life differently. And, and no, I, I'm not interested in having sex with you. I don't want to have sex until mm-hmm. my wedding day. Mm-hmm. Here's what I think is interesting is that um, after the show was over, after you'd picked Catherine, and then you guys still stayed with the resolve that said, hey, we're going to wait till marriage. And so then this went national. I mean, you were on People Magazine, everywhere, as the virgin bachelor. The reality is you weren't a virgin. Uh, you actually had a season of your life where you didn't hold to that value in your life and then came back and said, hey, wait a minute. Uh, I don't like how this is turning out. I don't like the trail of broken hearts and lives I'm leaving behind. And you made a new resolve. Tell, tell us a little bit about that journey for you. Yeah, well, so as I mentioned in, in college, I was a Christian, but I wasn't really living a Christian life. And, and towards the end of college, I just drifted into an area where I was living selfishly. I was living to please me. That's mm. the only thing I was really concerned about. And I, I made some bad decisions and I was doing things and, and I was talking to girls that I knew I shouldn't have been doing or girls that I shouldn't have been talking to. And, and I made those mistakes. And, and what I quickly realized is living selfishly, it's always cyclical. You always mm-hmm. come back to a point of like, I feel empty. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm not, I'm not getting anywhere. I don't feel fulfilled when I'm living for Christ, when I'm living to please God, I find so much fulfillment in that and gratification in that. And so there soon after, it didn't it didn't last a long time, but there soon after I said, all right, I just got to rededicate myself. And as I mentioned, I, I just said, hey, I got to buckle down. And I, I, it was important for me to really know who God was and not just by hearing the things that people would say in church. Like I need to know his word. And so I would, every morning I'd get up and I would spend 30 or 45 minutes just studying the Bible and, and really listening to what, God was trying to tell me. Hmm. Okay, so you've navigated this moment now. You, you and Catherine, you guys waited till the honeymoon night. That, matter of fact, when they did your wedding, that was a big deal. Half the show was, boy, they're waiting till their honeymoon night. Um, any regrets for waiting? No, no, not at all. Um, you know, people today will tell you, you can't get married without first having sex. I mean, sex is natural, and you have to figure out if you're compatible with your mate 
sexually if you're going to be married. It, it just makes sense. That's how we were created. I would tell all of you listening, especially the young people, like, don't buy into that lie. That's mm. not the truth. If you connect with someone... Mm. If, if you connect someone on a spiritual level and you have Christ at the center of your marriage, that will bring you so much more satisfaction than, than sex ever will. And then to add to that, I mean, sex was created by God. It's supposed to be great. And it will be so much greater if you save that for the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with. Hmm. Very cool. All right, so here, here's the kind of the final question. You're a good-looking guy. You're a nice guy. Uh, you're a guy that we all find ourselves just kind of liking. You, you've got this kind of monicum of fame going on in your life right now. You've got this amazing wife going on. Your life's doing pretty good. Why, why does a guy whose life is going so well, why do you need Jesus? Um, I would be lost without Jesus in my life. God shapes the way I think. He shapes the way I act. He shapes the way I view the world. He shapes the way I treat others. Everything I do is because I have Christ in my life. Hmm. And I know that I've been forgiven and redeemed hmm. through Christ's blood. And I, I look at people who don't know Jesus and I, I really think like, how do they make it? Hmm. I mean, life can be so hard and, and still I, I have a, I have a great life, but still Sometimes life just seems to beat me down. And those are the times where I retreat to God and say, like, God, I need you. Mm. You know, I need you to throw your arms around me. And, and it's such a satisfying feeling. I always compare it to as a kid, you know, if something bad happens in your life as a kid, all you want to do is run to your mom's arms, or your dad's arms. And, and that's how it feels now as a 30 year old. You know, I, I, I love running to God's arms mm. and I love knowing that God is with me no matter what. No matter what is thrown my way, God is with me. And mm. one of my favorite verses is, is James 4.14, and it says, life is but a vapor. Mm. So whether you live 20 years or whether you live 100 years life uh, on, on earth here, life's but a vapor compared to eternity. And it mm. puts things in perspective. Like I'm, I'm living for God and for eternity. Mm. Why am I going to seek the, the short-term gratification of living selfishly here on earth. And, um, you know, Jesus, he's, he's my everything. Hmm. And, and really that's why I am the person I am. That's why I have the joy in my life that I have. It's, it's because of Jesus. Sean, thank you, man. Thank you for thank you. a life well lived. Thanks for being here with us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, I, I just hope as we've had this conversation together that you've heard more than just uh, some uh, spicy tidbits about a television show. I, I hope you've heard the heart of a guy who, in the midst of having a pretty good life, <laughs> said to you, I still want Jesus in the middle of that life. And, and as you get ready to leave this place, as you get ready to go, maybe have a cup of coffee with friends or you're just driving home, would you just think about that? Would you just think about the fact that Sean Lowe just said to you, hey, no matter how good life is going, no matter how bad life is going, you're going to want Jesus in your life. And what does that mean to you? 
And do you need to spend the rest of your life before you figure out what he's already figured out? It's possible. It's possible there are some people in this room who don't need to drive home and think about it. Something clicked while you were hearing this conversation today. And you might even be one of those people who'd say, you know, my life is pretty good and things are doing well and and work is working out and relationships are doing good. But you know what? In the end, I can still tell there's something not finished in my life. And Sean just told you, it's Jesus. It's that other thing that no matter how successful or how good you are or how great life is going, you're still going to want Jesus Christ to be part of it. You're still going to want God in your life. And here's the really, really cool part. That's only a prayer away. It's as simple as you simply saying, God, I'm done. I'm done living life without you, and I really do want you in my life. It's a prayer that changes everything. Matter of fact, Scripture says this. It says, if we confess our sins, in other words, if we just go, God, look, I get it. I get that I've done some things in my life I shouldn't have done. I get there were moments I was disobedient. I get there's moments when you tried to connect with me and I pushed you away. And if we simply confess that and say, God, I'm just, I'm done with that part of my life. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a prayer. So here's what I want to do. I want us just to take a moment right now. I'm going to pray out that very simple prayer. And if you're at that moment in your life right now, I'm just going to invite you to quietly at your seat, pray that prayer. Just say, God, I'm ready. I know there's something missing and I want that taken care of. So let's bow our heads. I'll pray. If you are at that moment, you pray quietly in your seat. That prayer would go something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I think I have figured something out today. I figured out that no matter how good life was going or how bad life was going, I was going to want you in my life. And so I'm just in this moment praying and I'm telling you that I'm sorry for every time I pushed you away. I'm sorry for those selfish moments of my life, as Sean would say. Moments that I knew I was being disobedient and doing what I shouldn't have been. And I'm simply asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to right now come into my heart and come into my life. Change me. Be with me for the rest of my life. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.